right, give it just a second to make sure it works because my recorder is getting old. Yeah, we're getting fancy now. We're we're back to doing double enders instead of oh just recording. Oh boy, I'm on recording. It's been a while, man. Instead of just recording on the board, Adam was feeling <laughs> self conscious because he didn't want to appear as a guest on his own show. <laughs> I always sound, I always sound like I'm a guest, and now I don't even have all the recording gear because I left my microphone at Gridlife. Uh, right at NCM with Gridlife because it was with the PA system. Well, and, and I've had your other microphones with. since Coda. Um, I, yeah, I brought the other one stuff well. with me to NCM to give it back to you, but then I just didn't. Yeah. Podcasting was not my top of mind at NCM. I apologize about that. Well, um, I don't know. We Historically, we really try hard to record shows while we're at events, but it's it's really, really challenging because just because the track is cold doesn't mean that there's not stuff to do. This and, one was especially challenging for me. There was a lot of like uh, discussions and, uh, problem fixing and it just like never ended. And then all of a sudden it was Sunday night, you know what I mean? Yeah, man. Uh, and Saturday night, my, like I had a lot of stuff to do and like, I wanted to record with you guys, but there were so many people in there. And like, I was, I was like in the weirdest mental place that I've been in a while and I had a lot to do. So I just went and did those things and you guys did a show. We did. I mean, I don't know if you call it a show. Um, I just listened to it today. I thought it was kind of fun. Ed goes from being like super coherent, like totally normal guy, Ed. And I, that do that whiskey or bourbon snuck up on him so fast. Oh yeah. It, uh, it was, uh, it was not my favorite. It was pretty fun actually to listen to. Uh, Cause I could just like picture Ed, like all of a sudden, like in like a 10 minute span, he, he was like, I could almost like when he started talking one time, I could like see him pause and like his eyes open up like, whoa, what's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> it's it really good. <sighs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that event was, uh, that event actually turned out really good. Like I didn't hate the event. I like personally didn't enjoy myself, but that was because of just everything I had to do. Let's, and, let's uh, talk about what the event was. So it was a grid life track battle event. And that means um, HPW, yeah, Time means Attack, and GLTC. Um, my impressions about the track, I mean, having driven on the track a bunch of times, um, I like that place to drive a lot. Um, and uh, I was really impressed um, in how much it seems like the track, or not the track, the facilities have changed since I've been there. Like, I, I feel like there's more garage space now, which is cool. Um, cause I haven't been there in a, in a little while. Um, when was the last time you were there? It was uh, right it's been two years at least. It. So maybe the garages were there, but maybe I didn't notice, but, um, <laughs> the ones right against the track. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they were all there. Maybe they were. I think they might've built those in two segments. I can't remember though. Um, but the amount of space that was paved for like, parking was was kind of amazing there was Dude. an awful lot of space to like put more cars it was incredible like it was the it was the second biggest paddock that we've ever had um besides like nola like nola had dude nola was that place plus 25 percent plus it was all uh filled with electrical trucks is that right but they, they would all leave in the morning and then all of a sudden you'd, you'd have like the ability to put an entire midwest festival on blacktop that's and then wild. they would all, then they would all come back. We're talking like a thousand trucks. Not even exaggerating. Like you know, people exaggerate. They're like, "Oh, it was fifty trucks," but it was a thousand trucks. It was actually like a thousand or eight hundred trucks or something. That's like that. wild. 
they would come in and out for like two or three hours at night. It was nuts. So um, I got, uh, I, I want to th- say thanks to our friends at uh, ASM, specifically uh, Pete Collins, who's been on the show before, for renting a Skyjacker lift to spectate so GLTC. Um, it was very sketchy. I don't like being up in those. Um, but it was a big one, too. It, it was, was the size really of like a tall. Um, yeah, like it, it had the footprint of like an F two fifty. It was a big one. Yeah, uh, those those things make me nervous. I, I when I went up into it, they didn't even take it up all the way, and I was just like, okay, well, if a wind gust and this starts to rock, how do I uh, how do I avoid dying if it crashes over? That was my uh, first thought. That one was really heavy, though. That would probably be like good for forty mile an hour winds. Now, uh, I also want to say that on Sunday um, they were moving it from where yeah. it had been parked to wherever it was being picked up, I suppose, which basically ended up being a cruise around the paddock in a Skyjacker lift, which I thought was amazing. It's pretty hard flex. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Friday before you got there, because you didn't come until Saturday afternoon because you and you and the fam had like the stomach flu for a day. Yeah, it was it was not good. I don't think we talked about it on the show. I was violently ill for like 18 hours. We're talking like both ends, double shooting, huh? Yeah, dude, it was, it was. Uh, <laughs> so, it was rough. so real quick, real quick, I won't get gory or gross. Uh, were you? Was it? Was it? Was it two chicks at the same time? Was it a double shooter? Uh, I have I have experienced that before. Biggest adrenaline rush ever, right? <laughs> Um, it's, it's pretty intense, but, uh, when, when you're you dealing with that problem, the, the challenge is finding a place to throw up while you're taking a dump. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Isn't it? <laughs> like sometimes the sink's not around. So what do you do? Uh, garbage can, man. Five gallon bucket. Like you got to prepare baby. Well, like, see the thing about it. this kind of sickness is that you, it's hard to prepare because it tends to just hit you. <laughs> Dude, I uh, so I had uh, I had H one N one in like two thousand five six whenever that was like real bad, uh, and it was like it was killing twenty and thirty year olds, uh, and uh, and and the news wasn't uh, it wasn't good at making money yet, so it, like wasn't the the biggest news in the world, but it was killing a lot of people. It was real bad, uh, and I was sick for twelve days, uh, like so sick. I was delirious for seven straight days. Um, and I was broke and didn't, and we're newly married. And my wife was like, I'm going to sleep upstairs. Are you going to be okay? And it was real bad. I mean, um, and, and the answer is just, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, that, that was the only time in my life that it's, uh, it's been, uh, you know, double shooter. It was really, it was a wild, it was a wild few minutes. <laughs> well, uh, here's the thing. And I'm not like, so we should stop this. Conversation. I'm, I'm not gatekeeping a stomach virus. Uh, like, but, um, I think a lot of people say that they get food poisoning or something when like really all they kind of have is an upset stomach. Right. Like, uh, my main priority and, and Ashley's too was as we were sick was, Okay, well, like, how do you stay hydrated? Because you yeah, you that bad. you literally just lost all of your fluids and you can't keep anything down. That's a real party right there, man. Um, I mean, that is that is not trick or treating. That is a house party. <laughs> um, moving on to other more more important business. So yeah, we're, we're talking I, about I wanna, the sky. The sky I want to take I, just a five second moment of silence to uh, to oh, no. appreciate the life that my former Evo had lived. Um, yeah. I think 
it may have been dead for some time now, um, but it is now uh, confirmed to be dead. What happened? Like, so what? Where is it now? Is it like still sitting in its death place? I I believe that's the case. Right. Um, so it, it went to a shop because the dude blew it up because he what he misshifted or something. Right? No, that was that was the time before. So he money shifted. Um, this, I'm I'm not gonna throw shade on this guy because he was very nice. Um, but he was younger, and he like when he bought this car, he wasn't a he wasn't like a real wrench. And so, no. like, uh, after he had bought it, like, he was asking me questions about, like, properly checking the oil and where to put oil and blah, blah, blah. And so, like, he's kind of learning on the fly, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. With a 550-horsepower uh, Evo with correct. a rock. Correct. Um, but he, he was roll racing on the highway back in the day and um, jumped from uh, f- the top of fourth to third which is a sizable mistake to make a proper, a proper zinger as you, as you might say, and killed that, that motor that I had put together and was in the car. Um, but I think he had uh, lost another motor since then, um, which I would probably just attribute to shoddy shop work. Um, and so he had then taken the car to a different shop uh, we're not going to talk about names of these shops, but he had taken it to a different shop and left it there. This is for, a shop that I've heard of too. Correct. Um, but he had left it there a year a and year. Uh, paid a decent amount of money for engine work and all this other stuff. Close to 10,000 bucks. And uh, that's, that's a lot of money. That's like, that's, that's a lot of money, especially for a young kid. Um, when I, I mean, I'm assuming it was going to be a rods and pistons Evo 10 motor build. Like, yeah, it's a lot of, I mean, it's, but he paid for it. It wasn't, well, I I think it was going to be like bigger than that. He might've been doing sleeves and stuff like that as well. But, um, no, it's, it's, it's a proper amount of money. And I I think you pay for that kind of work up front, or at least I imagine you do typically. Um, but the car had been in the shop a year. And I think, as as I understand, he kind of was at his wit's end uh, today and went to go pick up the car regardless of whether or not it was finished. Um, yeah. Only to find out someone sent him a picture. Uh, the car had been uh, in a flood. Oh, like up to its windows. Yeah. And uh, no one no one told him. Yeah. And, and so, this was like a long time ago, right? Uh, he thinks so. Um, because it really hasn't been raining that hard the last few days here. So this, it couldn't have been current. Um, and so like, uh, again, we're not going to talk specifically about the names of shops. I don't think that's important, but the way I looked at it was, um, you know, if, if you're running a struggling business, uh, especially in the time of COVID, like there's, there's, there's not really any shame in that game. Um, I mean, yeah, no, maybe some like, things could could go differently and things could go better. Uh, that's that's one thing, but like not being upfront with your customers, and then in this case, not being upfront about the car being destroyed in a scenario that was outside of the shop's control. Super uh, crazy. Absolutely not excusable at all. No. Uh, any person who's like, well, you know, these people are good guys. It's like, no, no, no. That's like that's not a thing that good guys would do. No, if if you put if you put somebody else's car like uh, up to the windows uh, with water and you don't tell them for more than an hour, <laughs> like it's a problem, man. 
So uh, especially when it's like not a throw, we're not talking like old stripped out EF Civic shells. Like this is a full car. Yeah, I mean, I imagine uh, like if if he has to make an insurance claim now, I would imagine that even before he put the money in, the car would probably book for the high twenties because he right. he's owned it for car. two years. And I right. bet you he's only put a few hundred miles on it since he bought it because it spent and, and, all of its life sitting in parking it, lots. They haven't gone down a value either. Like they're that's a that that thing has parked itself in value. Yeah, and so like uh, uh, part of the reason that I wanted to talk to you tonight was to just like lament that this is not how I expected that car to die. Kind of makes me sad. Oh. Well, um, I, I mean, it, it. I mean, you say die like somebody might turn it into a race car. Somebody might fix it. Like it's probably. It's all usable. There well, might be some I mean, corrosion best stuff, case right? scenario right now is that it's a roller because I don't think the engine and trans were in it. Right. Uh, so right. maybe that part is salvageable. That's great. But yeah, um, you, you got to redo some wiring, got to rip the carpets out and fumigate and freaking whatever, you know, whatever you do. But, um, but um, yeah. I wanted to it, talk. It's not going you. to the junkyard, but it ain't what he wanted. Like, sure. And it's, it's not a car that's going to be like a proper street car ever again. No, it's not um, a lot of work. Yeah, but I wanted to talk with you specifically about shops. Well, before uh, that, I wanted to talk about on Friday. Pete put me up in the Skyjacker thing. Okay, and uh, and I also just wanted to say that was wild. That's the meanest flex I've ever seen for spectating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love Pete so much, um, and like Pete in the funniest way possible. Pete knows how to flex. Dude, so I, I pull up uh, in the middle of the night, uh, and like I just, I think it was already there, uh, and I just assumed that it was part of the live streams teams, like because they they always rent a few of them, right? It was the biggest one I've ever seen, and uh, and then I see Pete messing around with it, and he was like, "Hey, want to go up?" And I was like, "What is this?" He's <laughs> like, "Yeah, I just rented it." <laughs> and he's like, you're in construction. You got a Sunbelt account? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I thought it'd be fun. <laughs> and I'm like, you're not even driving this weekend? <laughs> no, he just, so, he just came to hang out. Dude, um, bad, uh, bad mf right there. They and- just... You know, um, as an and aside, he, and he also was putting, he was putting instructors up in it so they could watch oh, yeah. everybody. Yeah, like, it was great it was for the, the beginners too. It was great. Um, as an aside, I think you met him first at NOLA, uh, but uh, as part of that crew, you know Zach Lavoie? Right, right. Um, one of our, you know, Alabama boys. Um, he's been on the show before, but I don't think that we, you and I had not recorded together with him. No, um, I, I met him quickly at, uh, or in some someplace regarding NOLA, either via email or in person. I think it was in person. But um, uh, and, and then I met him quickly at NCM also. Well, he... Uh, he uh, he had an M3 that he was absolutely in love with. Her name is Riley. And Riley had some kind of suspension failure or something on the track this week. And uh, uh, he had some damage, and that's unfortunate. But uh, he took that as a sign and opportunity. He went to go pick up a GLTC car. Really? Yeah, so I, he went, he picked up an old NASA car that I think Andy will probably build into another GLTC spec car. Oh, boy. They're coming from all corners, man. Yeah, man. It's uh, too many GLTC cars now. We need to host more races or something. Probably, yeah. Um, so, so to that tonight, I was looking through 
like every few days I look through like the grid life help desk, fresh desk thing, like all, all the things from social, like all the info and help at grid.life, like they come into it and it gets organized into one place. It's um, like triaged, right? Like a yeah, person basically. has to just uh, shuttle it out to the respective people. Right. And so I'm looking through it and it's like, Dude, after NCM's like live stream, after almost every live stream, but this one especially, like it was just like an influx of like, uh, hey, I got a few questions about GLTC. Hey, I got some questions about GLTC. Hey, I just bought this car for GLTC. Hey, I think I'm planning on doing GLTC. Hey, what's the plot? What's what's the way to get into GLTC? Hey, uh, and, and then every like four was like, hey, I'm building unlimited unlimited class time attack car. Hey, <laughs> it's like, man, I'm so nervous. <laughs> this is too much. Well, uh, you know what? Like, but... um, I I consider us very lucky. Uh, we're we're trying to do things the way that we think is best for the community and you know best for our organization and. Um, it costs a lot to keep the ship, uh, running, right. but, uh, what we're doing, even if it doesn't make much money is very cool. Well, it, and it's doing like, like there was one, like I had one goal four years ago personally for good life. And that was to like make, uh, track and re- track stuff and racing, like a little bit more relevant and we can just keep making it and like moving the needle towards relevance and like, uh, like it just help helping like making it a thing to where like racetracks were a thing still when I was 50 or 60 and had some time. Um, I don't want them to go away. Like, like we need to have a bunch of freaking 19 year olds right now wasting their entire life on racetrack stop. Right. Yeah. for uh, sure. That's what I did when I was 19 uh, and 20 and 21, it, 22. It makes me <laughs> so uh, self-conscious that, like you and your crew have been doing this since you were like 18 years old. And like, Dude, we, I, I was 19 when we hosted our first event. It, I was like, Hey guys. Well, it's, it, I guess it's just so weird, right? Like, um, you know, it's, it's weird to me, uh, that what grid life is what now? Seven years old. This is our eighth third. 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 19, 20, 21. So eighth year. So, um, I always have to do that with my finger. I like counting my fingers off like a dumb four year old. (laughs) So, I mean, I I guess I was just thinking about like the grid life as an organization. Um, like I'm one of the more senior people that's been part of the organization and I'm, I I haven't even been there that long. Yeah, I suppose that's actually true, isn't it? Yeah. Well, like the first few years, like there was it was, there was nobody there. It was like literally three weeks before the first event, we started planning the first event. I mean, Chris planned a lot of stuff before then, but like we had like one meeting, and I was like, man, a meeting before an event, jeez. Well, at that point, it was just kind of like an idea, right? Like it was. Yeah, it, it was, was an abstract. We were, we were, we were going to do a bunch of HPD. There was going to be some timed stuff, but we didn't even have real timing. We were like trying stuff out, and it was like fun runs. Like it wasn't even real, but it was a big track event. It was like a lot of cars. Um, we had a lot of like a lot of cars on in HPD. It was just HPD all day. Can you imagine a Midwest festival where like everything is HPD? It sounds then, just like another track day. 
dude and then and then like halfway through the event uh chris was like why don't you get on the mic and like talk about stuff like hype this thing up and i was like all right guess i'll party guess horn. i'll talk yeah well i guess i'll talk on the microphone and like this is pre-slip angle uh by a year year and a half uh well you're in probably 14 months um and then uh so i like all of a sudden i was having like a lot of fun just goofing around on the pa at gingerman um and like I'd never like I had been kind of the voice of Honda Meet, but only like a you know intermediate, advanced uh, to grid, please. You know, like not not like screwing around. I hadn't sure. found any kind of voice, and uh, I would have never. And I was listening to podcasts a lot, but I would have never imagined uh, like talking on a podcast. I had a I had like a slight thought of like doing a podcast on track cars would be fun. Um, and then a year later, we did the second one, and I think that was. I think it was the second one. Matt Farah was there. Uh, and then me and Austin, like, had a lot of fun on the mic with Matt Farah. Uh, and Matt was like, you guys should just do a podcast. And, like, that's why we started Slip Angle. Um, but I think that was after 2015. I think it was the second year. I think year. that was the rainy year. That was the year that I was um, – that, that I had heard about it. Uh, yeah. But I didn't attend. And like you came in 2016, right? Yeah, I I showed up in 2016, and it was weird because, um, like practically, I didn't really know anybody. Um, no, you just kind of didn't like travel to the event uh, on my own, but like uh, when I showed up, uh, there that was just after I had done one lap, and uh, Ronnie and Brandon and Andy, like I had gotten to know them a little bit, but I like wasn't really. I, it would be unfair to say that I was like part of their crew. Um, did you did you get to know them on One Lap America? Yeah, and like uh, I I had kind of fanboyed out on them in 2015 um, because I had seen, or maybe it was 2014. Like I was starting to learn about One Lap, and I saw this like upstart, you know, Evo crew that was like doing things that were really impressive. Um, right for like an Evo when normally the cars that do really well are really expensive. And so like, um, I think, uh, yeah, it was in 2015. I went, um, like to the finish of the event, uh, back in South Bend just to like meet them, which I know is like mega weird, but I was, I was like hyped up on one lap anyway. Um, but I went to the dry, yeah, the dry skid pad and was just like, Oh man, I think you guys are awesome. Like the, you're doing awesome stuff, so on and so forth. And then had been just kind of like chit chatting with them, um, from 2015 into 2016. And then we did one lap, um, at the same time and I got to know them a little bit more. Um, but, uh, it wasn't until after that, that I went to, I guess that was grid life three, um, that I like, yeah, that about third of I paddocked with them or like near them and Ashley didn't travel with me. So it was just like me in a tent, um, like with those guys. Um, and they had all gotten hotels, but I was just like, well, I, I didn't, I didn't know anybody. And it was like Darus and Yonkers and a few other people that I like really just got to know through that weekend. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, well like now this is the crew. Um, but that's how you get started, man. Yeah. It's weird. And, uh, like this, this really gets me like feeling particularly nostalgic. Um, if, uh, if, if I make a reference to the movie, the Sandlot, will you know what I'm talking about? 
Uh, I mean, I haven't seen it in like 15 years. <laughs> okay. Well, um, there is a scene in the movie where like the camera, um, like shoots a, a photograph that's like a, you know, a keepsake from one of the main characters. And it's oh, like yeah. the entire crew, um, lined up like just in one time or in like one moment in time. Um, and it, it's just like a, a picture that basically you'll keep forever. Um, yeah. after, Grid Life 3, uh, I think it was um, Megan who took a picture of all of the trophies that like the RS Motors crew had won in that event. And it was, I mean, it was like a lot. It was like nine of the classes or something. Um, And I was included in that picture. And there's probably like 12 or 13 people all just standing by Andy's trailer and Andy's car with like all these trophies stacked up. And I was just like, well, these these two things seem really similar to me, and I love that because I think the yeah. satellite is an awesome movie. No, I, uh, I I've seen that picture. That's a good that's a good shot. Actually, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's so it's so bizarre to think back. Um, I mean, that's a long time ago in my life. It was only what five or six years ago. Uh, six six and a half. I don't know what what year is it. Twenty twenty one. I wrote twenty twenty seven times today. So I don't even know what year it is. Um, it's so bizarre to me to think back like that far and, and like, I don't even know how those events happened because like they just happened. Like, well, and, and I remember at that time, you know, uh, grid life three just felt so big. Um, yeah, it, and it I was big. I don't even it was the craziest the, thing that I've ever seen going to the <laughs> concert, uh, for, for the Midwest three. Um, yeah. I mean, Ashley and I did travel together to road Atlanta that year and we like did go to the concert a little bit, but like, I still didn't know, I didn't know you very well until like, I guess Autobahn. Um, right. Yeah. When you get crashed into deal with, with, with me, yeah. which I'm sure was not fun, but um, well, you, you were, you were decent to deal with, but I, I rode over on my bicycle with a, with the basket. Yeah. I miss that bicycle. I, it's it's still around. I just don't have it. I gave it back to my buddy. I'm bringing a bike this uh, after NCM. I was like, I'm mounting because I got my own my own new trailer that I love. I'm keeping it forever because it's the best. Uh, and from Bowie with it's got the biggest axles ever and the biggest tires ever. It's the best. And there's so much room. It's the best. I love it so, so much. I, I want to. We were talking uh, about bikes for a second, and I wanted to share yeah. my revelation I, with, with. I'm mounting bikes. a bicycle in this trailer, so I always have a bicycle because NCM is so big and hurt my feet. So, so bicycle time. Uh, Brad Adams is a BMX enthusiast and probably knows all there is to know about BMX and getting his kids into BMX. But I, yeah. um, many years ago, uh, like just used to mess around on BMX bikes and stuff. I never competed, never did anything like that. But I remember, at least in my hometown, the bike to have to like make kids jealous was you wanted a Dyno VFR, which is yeah. like, you know, a whatever BMX bike, right? And, oh, I know. Uh, I, did, I rode BMX real hard for about a decade. So uh, I was thinking how cool it would be to just pick one of those up, like old school vintage Dyno bikes, and just like keep it in the RV. And how has that thought gone after you researched what they cost now? Uh, Dyno VFRs are like, you know, pretty basic BMX bikes, but like of that particular vintage, they're like at least 500 bucks for a 25 year old bike. That's so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I, there was about a year where I thought Dyno VFRs were sick and they, I'm like, realistically, like they weren't, 
like straight out of the bike shop, they were like one piece cranks and everything was bland and it was like a non cool bike, but it was, it was a cool bike at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Um, and, and like, there wasn't anything special about it. It was like, you know, it wasn't, it was like just a regular DOM 1020 frame, like nothing crazy. Like it was just basic, but like, it was like the Corvette on spinners, you know, <laughs> in the day. It was like the hot shit. So, <laughs> so. Um, I'm going to plug this company, even though uh, I'm not affiliated with them at all. But are you, you're not near a computer, but maybe you can look at it on your phone while you're recording. Uh, my friend, or someone that I knew through Rally North America, uh, works with a company based in Cincinnati called Prospect Bikes. Okay. And you should look them up. They do... Um, 80s styled bikes, and they are awesome. Hold on. What? Uh, how do you spell? I'm gonna paste it to you right now. Right. You gotta, you gotta click this link, man. I'm looking. I'm looking, baby. I'm in my new studio, by the way. This new studio is way nicer than the old studio. Damn, that thing is sick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Uh, these guys are based in Ohio. I think the, the frames are made overseas, but, um, like these bikes are really cool, dude. Real old school mags too. Uh, yeah, those are, those are optional. So, um, these bikes are like, if you want the kind of grid life green colored mint, um, let's see if you want the mag white wheels, uh, Oh geez. You can't even like, order them um i'm gonna send you a, a picture of my first bmx bike if i can find it it was an original mongoose um and uh it had blue mags dude it was so incredible i got it from my uncle um it had blue five spoke mags just like the one in the on the, the main page of that i can't find a picture of so uh, if you want mag. a prospect Man. bike, um, for the mag wheels, um, so the bike comes like, uh, like all packaged together with the traditional spoke wheels, um, yep. the, like direct from overseas. I think it's just drop shipped or whatever. If you want the mags, those ship out separately. So you basically have two sets of wheels. Um, but including all that stuff, it's 720 bucks, which I think is pretty awesome. That's actually not that bad of a deal. For a brand new bike? Right. Especially because you can't even buy a bike right now because everybody wants to buy a bike. Um, And I will say that, like, yeah, having a golf cart at the track is cool, but um, there are some places that, like, aren't into letting you move around in a thing that's not a car. Yeah. If it has a motor but it's not registered, they're not excited about it. So, like, bicycles are always welcome. Pretty much. I can't think of a track that doesn't like bikes. I'm, uh, I'm going to send you a link to basically what my first BMX bike was. Let's see if it works. Let's see. That's an eBay link. Yeah. Nice. Except for it had, it had, a, it had a, a raw steel frame, uh, same logos, uh, and it had blue five-spoke bags. What? So, $1,900? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think it's still in my buddy's garage. Still. You should find it. I, I've texted him a few times about his parents have moved twice. And he's like, yeah, my dad won't let me. I don't think he threw it away. It's probably still in the shed. So That's wild. 
Yeah, it. Uh, I got it from my uncle, and it was like it had Skyway mags of blue five spokes. It was rad, dude. So uh, we'll see. Um, you know, having a BMX bike to whatever to just like roll around the paddock. I mean, like going old school. I've even looked at like banana seat bikes, which I think are hysterical. Um, I, like I've been even looking for those, and those aren't easy to find either. That's what I had for a couple of years. I had a big uh, basket on the front of my buddy's. Uh, it had ape hangers on it, uh, handlebars, and uh, and a banana seat. But he had uh, like spin five spoke mags from I want to say from like the early two thousands or late nineties. Um, and it was a it was a cool cruiser, but he wanted it back, so I gave it back to him. That's so. a because like I felt like that bike and you were were like one. It was a pretty rad bike. It was a, it, like I rode it for like two seasons around the paddock. So. Um, so now that season we've like, was like spent three forever talking about bicycles and why you should have one in your RV, yeah. um, I don't want to like, you know, it's, it's Dewey's story to tell, but Dewey, Dewey's like a lister RV man now. So that's cool. Yeah, Dewey's got the coolest RV in the paddock right now. So we'll see. Well, once it gets to a paddock, but, uh, he just picks something up. That'll be fun to see. I'm we should record a C class with him. That would be fun. Well, it's like an 08 too. So it might be pre- pre-emissions like just uh which might be good for longevity for them might be a solid rig so that's cool most rvs are built on like a two-year-old chassis like uh so it's probably pre-emissions which means it might be reliable that's so, <laughs> so crazy uh anyway yeah that'll be a fun one we, we we definitely once we see that thing in person we need to bust out the c-class citizens again we should probably do a couple of those this year so. yeah I, I think so um and we'll just re- we'll, we'll release some slip angles also, so that we don't have to do so many slip angles. Right, and and Friday maybe sh- some show. maybe some slip angle listeners will subscribe to C class um, if we start doing more shows. Yeah, it's really hard to do so many podcasts. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, um, did did like, you get your uh, Fortune Auto suspension for the Civic uh, kit? I have not. You have not. But I uh, I don't remember if I told you this um, on. So on the night that I ordered the Fortune Autos, mm-hmm. the very next morning, uh, my job was eliminated, which oh. uh, was, was just bad timing. Um, and so I, I told Swan to pump the brakes a little bit on that and uh, ended up ordering them a couple of weeks ago. So I'm sure they'll be here before long. Okay. Um, I just got the set that I ordered. Just got them yesterday. So been about, so, been about five weeks. So. Okay. Um, I'm gonna, I, I think I'm going to try and, um, uh, work with my buddy, Adam Ulrich from Ohio. Um, yeah. Who I like, just met at NCM. Nice dude. Yeah. Awesome dude. Um, I think we're going to go to his house and, uh, install them and then, um, like maybe do that on a Friday night. And then he usually works on Saturdays at, uh, tire discounters, which is a place that does, you know, repair stuff. And uh, he'll just like align the car in the morning and then I'll be all set up. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about like getting all that taken care of in a very easy way. How far away is he? He's in Dayton. How far away is that? Uh, I don't might Three be two hours? hours, but I think it's about two. But oh, that's not bad. Um, the cool thing about it is like if we go on Friday, uh, we can do the wrenching and then we can go get margaritas. Right. So like, yeah. that sounds great. That'll be all right. Um, not the worst idea. That probably, should, I mean, the car's not like rusty or gross. It shouldn't be a hard 
swap. Yeah, I'd Im- I'd imagine not. Like the, uh, and it's it's not as even if like I'm I'm pretty confident that I could do coilovers on this car. I, I don't think there's anything about it that's going to be too challenging. But well, you built an entire Evo. Yeah. Yeah, but from there, like once it's done, I would want to. Um, get it aligned and there really aren't any places around the Indianapolis area that aren't just like, you know, firestones um, right. that, that I know of that would do that kind of racy type of alignment. So I'd either have to like take it up to pro awesome. And I don't even know if they have a rack. Um, you don't so, need a rack, dude. You just need some tools, man. I wrote an article on this five years ago. Well, I mean, yeah, but I would prefer <laughs> it just be like straight. Well, I, I can make a nice alignment with some tape measures and strings, but yeah, no, a, a real good rack is definitely a little bit nicer. Well, I, I've I've talked with you about this before. It's right, just because you can live hard doesn't mean that you have to. Mm-hmm. So, True. Um, You've called me out on my lifestyle choices many times. Uh, I think that's actually probably a fun transition into what I wanted to talk about tonight, which was shops. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about the the death of my old car, which is very sad. Um, but I, without like naming names and calling out good shops or bad shops or whatever, um, there's probably some people who are listening to the show that are considering uh, buying a car or building a car or working with a new shop to do a thing or trying to do it themselves. Um, and like my perspective on this has changed a lot as I've gotten to know more about the industry and the business. And, and like, I I know that there are some spectacularly reliable quality shops that are available. Um, but there are a whole lot of bad ones. There's a lot of dudes who are like, I'm going to start a shop and I'm going to borrow all the money, man. hope this works. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of that, man. It's it's so prevalent. One of the mistakes that I think that I made was if if you have a race program, if you want to call it that, um, you know, there is a temptation to try and find a a shop that will work with you um, that will give you some kind of discount in exchange for some kind of promotional material or representing their shop in some way or, or, you know, you know, promising social or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I'm hesitant of that. Um, sometimes it works really well, but I think, um, at least it's been my experience that like, just because a shop is willing to do work at a rate that seems cheaper, doesn't necessarily mean that you'll save money if you end up paying a lot of hours. You, I mean, it's gotta be the right situation and you gotta get lucky and, uh, you might be better off just paying full freight, full freight on most things, like literally. Yeah. And I, I know that's hard, right? Because you, you think you're saving money, um, you know, by getting a 20 or 30%, you know, discount on labor. And it's like, well, not if, you know, not if you, when you pick the car up, it's not done or and it, and uh, it's not perfect or it's not perfect. And you go to a track day and, you know, you have to turn around and drive home because, well, it's, it's undrivable on track because it won't make power or whatever. Um, like all of those things that, that, that amount of time and headache and trouble, like it adds up fast. Yeah. If, if you, I mean, especially in like a real crazy build, like if we're not talking like just throw your coilovers on or just throw your suspension on and do an alignment, like if you're doing a full build, 
you can do it two ways. You can research and you can know exactly what you want and you can be like the general contractor of your build uh, and do as much as you can yourself and get help on the things that you can't do. Um, or you can just pay to have it all done. Uh, and even that requires a ton of research because you got to like know who to pay. Right. And, and I think uh, that's the hard part, right? Because if you yeah. don't, it's hard to know what you don't know, right? Like those unknown unknowns are hard. Yeah. And, you know, if you're not an expert uh, at what you need, you um, will likely have to defer to the experience of someone else. And, and sometimes um, money you don't doesn't have even a good, solve these problems. You don't either. have a very good radar for judging right. other people's experience. And that's the problem. Yeah. And, and money doesn't always fix these problems because sometimes the, the, the most glamorous and fancy shops that like have all the tools and bits, they close overnight too. Um, yeah. Or they do really shoddy work because they're cranking them through because they got to like pay the mortgage, you know? Yeah. It's, um, it's a, it's a really weird problem. It um, is a, yeah. I mean, it's, I think the only way to really judge a shop uh, is based on um, longevity and experience uh, with, you know, with, from f reliable sources, like, talk to their customers. Yeah. I, I was, I was just thinking the same thing. The hard part is, you know, basically what you're asking for are letters of reference basically. And right, right, uh, right. the thing is, is like, how do you get those? Right. It used to be actually probably more difficult than it is nowadays. That might be like one of the pluses of like the modern age is the review, like the Yelp style review of like everything. Um, uh, and, and a lot of times that's like a, you know, you're sifting through the, like the noise is greater than the signal on a lot of those reviews. Yeah. Right. But, um, but yeah, uh, at least they're, they're really easy to make. Uh, so you, if something's real bad, social media will tell you, but, uh, well, and uh, I, I was thinking about it too. Like, um, you might say that a way to, to know if a, a shop is worth their salt or not is, you know, if their employees are being paid well or if the shop owner is, is you know, doing all right financially. But like, well, that's that's not actually a good indicator either, because if the owner is just like <laughs> pulling the money out of the business to buy his own boat, um, right. that that isn't good either. No, uh, it, and, and you can't even trust like, you know, just the fact that the reviews are so easy to be left. Uh, on the internet right now, like you can't trust most of those reviews. Correct. Like you really can't. I know that, um, uh, Andy, uh, got hit by a bunch of really negative Google reviews. Um, that by, by like one person making up lots of accounts and spamming. Him. Correct. And so, yeah. um, on, I mean, the internet doesn't forget, right? Like there's really nothing you can do about those situations, but like, yeah. Every, and every modern business is, especially small businesses. They're, a lot of them are struggling with stuff like this. I've got, I've got somebody at uh, my construction business that like, if we didn't talk to this person, I have no idea who it is. Uh, our, one of our ad reps is like, Oh, it's probably one of the competing businesses. And like, there's, they're like, Oh yeah, this guy came to my house and he was racist. And it's like, who, who is this? <laughs> like, that's, it's, that's silly. It's just what the world is nowadays, you know. But, but I mean, uh, I can yeah. think, uh, I, I would say that you and I have a pretty good uh, view of, a, of at least a lot of shops in the Midwest. Yeah. And 
you know, there are, there are some like big money, big time shops. And if you're going there, like you're probably going to get good service. Um, but like the, the smaller operations, there's probably four that I would like highly recommend people go to. Yeah. That, w- that we know of like from direct experience. Yeah. Four or five, maybe six. And like, there's, there's probably half a dozen like individual guys, uh, who like do stuff in their garages kind of thing. Yeah. Who I would say, yeah, you can trust that guy or you can trust this tuner. He doesn't, he's not affiliated with shop, but that's what he does, you know, stuff like that. Right. But it's, I, I think it's really hard because if you, you know, if you're not listening to the show or you're not in the, in the community, I guess, Right. It's really hard to know who to trust. And I know that um, on Track Midwest a couple of weeks ago, they tried to do a like um, a post or a sticky of reputable shops. And I think that's a great idea um, only because there's just so many like there's so many bad places like you're you're uh, you're, you're, you're like walking through a, a, a field of landmines, basically. Right. Yeah. There's so many X, Y, Z, ABC performances like uh and they come and go and like you wish you wish that they uh stay because if they stay it's because they did good work and they made quality products and good customers out of it but um yeah there's a that's like it's 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 an industry that breeds fly by night out of enthusiasm too you know so well right and like um i've had a chance to talk with aaron lichty about this a little bit too there's like you know you can be a good mechanic and you can be gifted at, at wrenching or doing whatever that doesn't necessarily mean that you're also a good business owner. Right. Um, and, and like, even if you are a good business owner and a good mechanic and good wrench and you know, everything, it doesn't mean that your business is going to work because you might've put it in the wrong place too. <laughs> well, yeah, that's absolutely true. And so like, yeah. Uh, and the wrong time, the wrong place and wrong time uh, has killed more businesses than like the skill, uh, involved in keeping them afloat. So, yeah, it's, um, I guess just a lot to consider and, uh, you know, right. please don't, please don't, if you're listening to this show and you're thinking about trying out a new shop, don't consider Adam and I experts necessarily, but, um, you know, do your homework as much as you can to try and figure out if the place that you're going to go to is going to give you the kind of service that you need. Right. And yeah, uh, you, you just hate seeing somebody like uh, like your car, your old car, your Evo, uh, and like he he didn't like it wasn't like he was like a lifelong enthusiast who had like oh this is his fifth Evo he's got three other ones that he's working on right now you know oh the shop screwed him but at least it wasn't stuck in his garage right right like this was his only car and his only like path into the hobby and well, like but I think I think he has. Uh... I think now he has a high power 240 and a high power STI now. As well. Oh, so he's gotten real sick into the hobby. Huh? Yeah, he's he's got the bug, but it's I don't know. It's just a, it's a shame to lose a car like that, right? It's yeah, especially a for a year. Like it, it it wasn't with him for a year. A thing that like I personally saw you build and put a motor in like a month yourself, right? Yep. Uh, so it like, wasn't that crazy. It's so. um, I don't know. It's just weird, right? Like. Uh, especially if you, you know, if, if you're trying to build a car to compete in a series or in an event, um, you know, not just making sure that the shop has experience in, in what you're doing, but also like, um, is knowledgeable and like really confident and competent about what you're trying to accomplish. 
Right, and set like time frame goals too. Like obviously, stuff is hard to get right now uh, in a lot of industries, like parts and pieces. But uh, well, but I've been, um, you know, I've been working in the chemical industry now for five years, and I would say that my expectation for how I would interact with a shop today, you know, if if I had to just like let let's pretend that I moved to New Mexico, um, just for a second. Uh, and I needed to find a shop out there that would do a build for one lap or grid life or whatever, something that right. I wasn't going to do. I would say that I would approach um, that working relationship differently than I would five years ago um, in that, like I would probably act like a project manager and just say, look, like here are the deadlines. I need these things to be done um, by this day. And if they're not done, then I need to take the car somewhere else and, uh, you know, I'll get my money back or whatever. Right. Um, because I've been in a situation a number of times where the car's supposed to be done and then like, Oh, it's not, let's, let's, uh, come back down in two weeks and try and get it then. And it's like, well, look like deadlines over slip and over, and over. over yeah. and over and over. And the time that you build in to like test just disappears. Hey, you're still recording me, correct? Uh, yeah. Because my recorder just got stupid, and uh, I'm not recording me anymore. Now you're out. back to know. being a guest on the Slip Angle podcast. Yeah, so if you've listened thus far, how far into this thing? Are we an hour or what? 49 minutes. So if you're 49 minutes in, uh, you found out that I'm not actually recording myself, and Abe doesn't have to piece my audio in. <laughs> so I guess... Because anyway, I don't have a good microphone, and I must have hit the stop button at some point with my fat thumb. So. You're, you're not good at computers. Uh, I'm not that good at much. Like it's, there's been so many times lately because I feel like I'm in the way. Just like to, sorry to, to change topic, but I feel like over the past year and a half, Chris and I have came to realize that uh, we are the linchpins and in the way of grid life growing. Uh, so like I'm, I keep trying to get out of the way, uh, and then I keep hating myself more and more and more. <laughs> Uh, because I'm really not good at anything, and I don't know why I'm in charge of everything. <laughs> You're really good at the microphone. And uh, I don't think so. I just turned it off. <laughs> you no, know, you're you're good at vibes too. Well, uh, I really, uh, although I will, I will congratulate myself on having probably the most fun uh, trophy ceremony we've had in a while. So uh, that was a fun one. But, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty fun. Yeah, the uh, I don't know, man. I feel like I feel like I got to keep getting out of my own way, and I don't mean to be in my own way, and I don't really want to be in charge of anything. Uh, but uh, it became it becomes more and more apparent that I'm not the <clears throat> that I'm not the the optimal choice for anything. So, That's so if you want to be in charge of grid life, <laughs> send your resume to <laughs> to Adam at Grid Life. Well, if someone wait wait a second. Consider the paradox of you not wanting to be the boss, but ultimately right. you are the boss who is reviewing those resumes. I know, right? <laughs> Stupid. Like I'm my own final boss in the video game. I got to like fight myself. Um, <laughs> so dumb. So yeah, I, I guess to, to close out our thought on shops is, you know, these decisions should not be made lightly. And, uh, you can get Don't yourself get screwed, in a man. lot of trouble and you can, you can take a car kind of the way I'm thinking about it is like past the point of no return where like, you know, the shop does things this way and they make these mods and they do this thing. And then like 
you know, if it's not right or if it's not done the way that you think it needs to be done, um, it might be very hard to like undo Reverse. all that mess. Yeah, to unmess a mess is hard sometimes. I one time I made a total mess of my race car, uh, and it was not a race car at the time, and I turned it into a race car <laughs> because That's, I had ruined it so bad. That sounds like something that you would do. Did and that well, happen yeah. this year? Uh, I I had made such a mess of the wiring, and like everything was, everything was like so far from like good competent street car uh, that I took everything out, and I I literally. Uh, there was a day where I dropped the engine out and I pulled all the suspension off. And then there was a day where I took about an hour and I took every piece of plastic and wiring out of the car and I threw it directly into a dumpster. And I was like, I'm not, I'm starting over. Uh, that was like a, that was a weird day that I won't forget. Uh, but, but I had gotten there because I had personally been the shop that had screwed my car for 12 years at the time. So, yeah. Well, uh, I was thinking about something as you were talking about it. And uh, maybe the listeners will have experience with, with Evos or maybe they'll just be familiar with this, right? So uh, if you want a car that is flex fuel, right? And that is, um, you know, does pump gas just fine and does E85 just fine? Right. On some cars, especially the Evo 10, that can be challenging at certain power levels. Um, reason being, in order to, let's say, make a car with 450 or 500 wheel horsepower, uh, you need a substantial upgrade in fuel pump to deliver the amount of volume necessary to make that power on E85, right? right. Um, because the energy density of E85 is like 30% less than gasoline. Mm -hmm. Um, so you increase the size of this pump really substantially. Um, and that works great when you're running E85 because you're burning all that fuel as it gets sent up to the engine compartment. The tricky thing is, uh, when you try and run pump gas, now you have this gigantic fuel pump and the engine, the injectors aren't actually using very much of the fuel that gets sent to the front. And so a lot of it gets sent back. Well, the challenge is if your pump is really big, like it probably is, um, the the diameter of that hard line is not sufficient to deal with all of that return volume. Yeah, so, so now you need to run new fuel lines completely. Yeah, and it, like at the time, uh, that was not a thing that I could find on a forum on the internet. And so that was just like, that was an annoying lesson that I had to learn on my own through like a bunch of failures with the shop. Because your car was way too new and people hadn't done it. Right, basically. And and so, like, um, you know, those those kinds of things, I mean, that I don't think it's fair to to hope that your shop will be an expert in, in every possible chassis that you're interested in. Um, but it certainly helps to have a, like, a frame of reference or, like, a comparison car to, like, ask you know, for expertise yeah. if they have it. So like, I think for example, um, you know, the Jason and Chinchi who had done a lot of work with the type R over the last few years, like if I wanted to modify a type R, I might start by just like asking those guys what they, what they learned as they went through the development path. Right. Because I'm yeah, sure what, that they learned some stuff what that was solve? like hard. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, it, uh, especially with new chassis, which is kind of like the, that's the only place that anybody seems to be able to make any money <laughs> is on new chassis too. Yeah. 
but those are also the hardest ones to do. Um, but yeah, especially with a new chassis, you're really, and even like a five-year-old one, the knowledge base just isn't there, especially without the, the forums and stuff. Cause like, that's just, that stuff doesn't exist. And like Facebook forgets and it goes away, you know? Well, I'm um, uh, Makaya who owns the TTRS that won one lap two years ago. Uh, he's been on the show before. Um, but in the last six months or so, he's been battling, um, the all wheel drive system in his car where it's not like sending power to the rear wheels like it's supposed to. Um, but he's in an interesting predicament in that he has the fastest track TTRS that's in North America. Like this is it. He's the guy. And like, as they work on trying to diagnose and troubleshoot this issue, it's like, well, like who do you, who do you ask? Best of luck to you. There's nobody. Right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that sucks. <laughs> um, There's not 10 years of like uh backlog somewhere, you know? Well, and like, I mean, I guess too, there's something to be said about being like at the tippy top. I would say that Jackie's car is pretty close to the tippy top of what's been done with the Supra chassis as well, where it's like, yeah. well, if they run into some weird CAN bus issue that like makes the diff not work right, like the only way for those guys to fix it is to just like, Fix it. Well, either either figure it out or just like take it out and make everything analog. Right. Yeah. They they need to fix it. They can't be told how to fix it. <laughs> that's that sounds hard to me. Yeah, that is hard. Uh, that's why I play with dumb old Hondas that are virtually the twenty seven Model Ts from you know if in the fifties, my car like would be a nineteen like thirteen car. You know what I mean? If you think back to like old hot rodders of like the forties and fifties. My car is so old; it would be the first cars. <laughs> That's so weird. Uh, the like the brand new stuff is so different than like, uh, and which in like GLTC and Time Attack, we see cars in the same class with like a twenty or thirty year age gap, um, which is pretty crazy. Like, because that's never happened in racing, where you get like twenty and thirty year age gaps sure. and parity at the same time. So. Um. Let's let's use GLTC as an example. We've got um, like Porsche Cayman PDKs, which I think are uh, early 2010s ish. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you also have NA Miatas, right? And yeah, funny that those are built by could be built by the exact same shop. Right. Um, that's a that's a big gap, almost thirty years. Well, and Chris Tuttle, who we did not see in twenty twenty, but he built a C four Corvette that he raced uh, in twenty nineteen, right. pretty pretty successfully, I'd say, in GLTC. Right. Uh, um, that's got to be close to one of the oldest cars. Those could be well, Christoph's cars. It's partly tube frame. He's taking the tube frame modifier this year. He's an eighty four. I think Tuttle's was like an eighty six or eighty eight. Like it's an old car. Yeah, uh, for some reason, Christoph's car doesn't like. Christoph's car to me doesn't feel. It's like too modified. Yeah, it's it's, too it's modified. like it's a parts bin car at this point. Almost, it's not off the shelf. It feels like. Yeah. So. Um, uh, there's there has been a vault. So at at 2019, uh, Road Atlanta, um, was probably the largest age gap that we have had and might have for a while at least. Uh, there was a Volvo, something. I forget. I can look it up, but uh, it was from the 70s. Um, and we also, I believe, 
I believe and we didn't have the Cayman yet. I think the early, the, the, the newest car I want to say was like a 2005. So actually it might not have been that big of an age gap, but it was, it was over 30 years. So we're talking like, like a 30, 35 year age gap. But, I think we're kind of, uh, we're rambling here, but you're talking about uh, road Atlanta in 2019. There was yeah. a car that showed up. I think it was a TL or a TSX. One of the two, I'm pretty sure it was an old Acura. Um, and it had the rowdiest cam that I have ever heard in a Honda before. Do you remember which yeah, car I'm it, talking it about? It was like red and, uh, it was, I think it was silver base color and like red, blue and like neon, neon yellow. Yeah. Accent. That car. What, that was, what makes uh, a Honda sound his, that way? Yeah. Blake, Blake Meredith did a ton of the work on it. I forget what the guy's name is Blake. It, it was running an exhibition class that year. Cause it actually was built for SCCA STU. And it had a quaff sequential in it, so it was technically illegal. But he was he was legal in power to weight, so he was running for no points that weekend. That we were we were still doing no point stuff first year. But um, what's his name? I forget what his name was, but it was a really really wild build. I think Blake built the motor for it too. We should but, talk with Blake about that car. I don't remember the Blake, name, but like yeah, uh, Blake Blake knows the car real well. It, it, it well, I mean uh, it it idled. It didn't idle like a car with a big cam. It it sounded more than that. Yeah, it was really weird. Uh, it was. Uh, it's a wild car. I mean, it was. It had to run heavy for GLTC, if I recall. Uh, it was like solidly, you know, top ten, top top fifteen. That was a strong field back then, though. Uh, that was that was one of the heavier hitting fields that we had had at that point. So. Well, I uh, just to comment on on NCM, I was really impressed with the depth of the GLTC field at that Dude, event. It was. It used to be hard to be on the podium in GLTC. Um, it's hard to be in the top fifteen now. So, well, like I, I remember too that um, you know it was uh, two years ago. It was almost virtually guaranteed that Cattell would be on the podium or win, right. like every event that he went to. Or and at least, like, yeah. Yeah. The, these first couple of, of weekends, it's been like, it's, I mean, it's a challenge even for him to make sure that the car is perfect and like everything is perfect to try and get a win. Him and Lichty got on the weekend podium this, this time just by consistency. Like right. they, they weren't putting on slayer performances. They were just clawing their way to consistency. Uh, th- this track is uh, NCM is the weird, probably the weirdest one that I think we've driven as far as like how it separates cars. There's so many sections of that track that you can't go too wide, three wide, very comfortably in. Um, it's, so it's a tough wheel to wheel track, and it's like a tough track just in general to like nail. Um, and I think uh, the power band of Swenson's car, and he took to that track real well in testing. He actually showed up for testing on Friday and like you know did uh, a lot of laps and. Uh, he 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 adopted to that track pretty well, and he had driven it before. But but Andy Andy knew what he wanted out of that S two thousand, and he set that thing up to kill. And he spent a lot of time at that track. Um, um the, he, what was the final qualifying time? I'm gonna look it up. Uh, yeah, two twelve something. Yeah, two twelve. Uh, I'm gonna try and look it up right now. Uh, and there was there was a bunch of uh, like Tomo had gotten two twelves out of a bunch of GLTC cars in testing prior to this event. Um, so I mean the parity is potentially there, uh, but this track is hard to get everything right in too. Two twelve eight ninety four. That is a monster monster lap. Yeah. 
Um, so I was looking at uh, with the uh, in like some of the rules advisory committee chats, uh, and I'm comparing. I'm showing you know anonymous data because um, we took a lot of data this weekend. Uh, Scott Malloy uh, totally helped crush it with the data. We have five aim solo data boxes um, that we are that we're putting in different uh, different places uh, in cars and uh, we we've been using those for a few years we we bought them from we actually bought them through the winning form because they get a they get a solid deal on them and the main reason for aim solo is that everybody you know has some version of aim dash um, so it's easy to claim data and easily compare um, so we, we use those and Scott Scott kind of crushed it with with pulling data and comparing and so we're putting anonymous data in some of these chats and the acceleration rates are real good but you can see the people that know this track it's so freaking hard to drive this track yeah uh, like it's it, it's a it's a destroyer of a track as far as like you make two mistakes like it wrecks four turns in a row, you know, Absolutely. like one mistake wrecks three. <laughs> so, so uh, I want to comment cause I, I did have a chance to look at data. Um, Brandon Ranvec did a two thirteen eight eighty four in his uh, Twitch car. Street class. Street, uh, street class. class and that's, that's an insanely fast time for a street class car. He beat, uh, he beat Josh Halka by almost two seconds. Um, Did he really? But uh, you, yeah, like 1.9, which is oh really, my gosh, really I didn't know it was that big of a disparity. Um, but he did it like completely differently because Hulk's car is an absolute monster um, because of the horsepower. Uh, but in a well, lot Twitch of is, places, Twitch is no slouch in horsepower either. It's an NAS 54. That's yeah. true, but it's, I mean, it's it's down compared to a. A, a decent size turbo upgrade S two hundred nine turbo on you know uh, an EJ twenty five whatever. Right. Um, but I've I've seen the data overlaid of both cars and like, I mean, Hawk's car just pulls in the straights. But uh, Brandon is an absolute wheelman in the corners and makes up all of that time. And I went through and watched uh, his video in the car, and I think he loses some time in turn 1A and B, uh, mm -hmm. where, um, you know, he hits the curbs really hard, and it, it kind of like the car bounces a little bit, and it, it doesn't really seem settled. I imagine right. that if he tidied that up a little bit, that time would be even faster. What uh, What does he have suspension-wise, Dino? Uh, I think that it's a Reinhardt option, I think. Okay. Yeah, uh, wild car. He drove that thing real well, and it looks like a race car now, which is weird because it used to just look like a regular old track day car with like a. Dude, it, it looks just, so cool. It was like um, a black E four E thirty six, right? Is the, it black or blue? All of the ASM crew uh, did custom wraps this year, yeah. Yeah. and it just looks so pro. Yeah, they they had a they had a presence in the paddock for sure. But. Um, gotta get Andy having uh, legit dinos, uh, so I don't have to send him to the dino uh, via via the angry mob. Dude, <laughs> but, dude. Uh, actually, nobody was like nobody was protesting him. Nobody even knew about it. But I was like, Andy, you gotta have a legit dino. Your dino is not a dino jet. And uh, we figured it. We figured out that if after race one, there was just enough time to send him to MCR tuning to compare. 
there wasn't enough time to send Tomless card, but they were dyno the same day. So I said the same settings on the Andy's dyno. And I said, if your car passes, we'll accept Tom's dyno provisionally and we'll send Tom to the dyno at Gingerman. And it was a big old drama mess, <laughs> but we got it done. And I, I know the cars were compliant, uh, to the rules. They weren't com- or, I mean, compliant to the spirit of the rules, but they weren't compliant to the letter. Sure. Um, but uh, a lot of drama in that. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy that uh, that they came out as far as like, you know, they were actually under underpowered per MCR's DinoJet, uh, but man, that one uh, that one warmed me out stress wise. So yeah, I mean, um, GLTC has become a really interesting thing. I mean, it's a it is still you know a grassroots racing event, but. Um, People are trying very hard to put together solid programs. It is as and, pro as they come without being pro, and it's kind of, it's kind of hard, like, and it's kind of exhausting. But, uh, but at the same time, it's like really humbling to see the effort. Um, and that was the frustration with like, like, and Andy actually had put in the work uh, of like comparing his dyno to to another dyno jet to Gingerman's dyno jet, um, and so he knew Andy knew he was compliant. And he just hadn't approved it with us prior, which if presented the data, we might have just accepted it because we have wording in the rules that allow us to accept that. Um, you know, if you can prove it uh, and if we if we can trust the the data uh, provisionally it can be accepted. Um, but that was some of the some of the frustration from other drivers was like, you know, some of these drivers are driving five, six hours to go to a dyno jet to be compliant. They're really like putting in the time, putting in the hours and it's a pain in the butt, but like a, a dyno jet on SAE five is like the only real solid comparable, uh, via data that like, and many dyno operators will tell you that like, yeah, that's pretty much the only one you can trust and you can still only trust it within a couple of horsepower, but you're getting close, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, some of these drivers are putting in the effort, man, like the amount of time and effort and hours and money to run GLTC. It's mind boggling. Well, and and you and I have talked about that before. And I I think um, I was on the pro awesome podcast uh, a a few months back. And I think that um, uh, a few people thought that I was kind of flippant uh, with how hard it is to do well. And, um, that I, you know, that I didn't respect, um, you know, programs that weren't necessarily at the front and that, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, but I was pretty candid about, you know, how, how hard it is to be at the front. Um, It's borderline impossible, dude. Yeah. Like it's just, and, and time attack and like the pointy end of every class. People look at time attack and they see it as a, as a money game and uh sure that helps um but that's not really enough right like the term that i really like to use to describe all of this is effort right like effort is money and it's smarts and it's um willingness and time um and like not everybody is as willing to give that effort at the expense of something else you, yeah, you, you look at you look at big picture to little picture, like street class efforts versus unlimited class efforts. Uh, the class of the field in unlimited, like big picture, long term, has been 
uh, Pro Awesome, uh, Andy's car, uh, Houghton's car, and Will's car, right? Yep, basically. Um, and if you break each one of those builds down, like each one of them has, what, uh, a year or two of man hours, like thousands of man hours, um, and like a thousand hours on track for the driver each or more, you know, like big hours into the driver development or more, you know, sometimes pro drivers even like Tamo or Jeff Westfall right. or yeah. whatever. Um, well, and it's, and then you go, you go all the way back down to like street class efforts. Like you look at Josh Halka, you look at uh, Ranvex well, car that we were just talking about. You look at some of the, the, the other previous winners like in street class and like big driver development uh, and just looking down into like, like they've probably read the rule book more times than you and I have. They're looking for every wording. They're looking for every tiny little thing. And they, they ask for approval if it's in the gray area uh, and they test and they test and it's new Speaking tires. Of, it's I don't think that this is gray area, but I do want to give him a shout out for just being, you know, that committed, right? Like yeah. putting forth that much effort. Um, Brandon had a very trick looking splitter on the front of his E36. And I, um, I really just wanted to know the origin of this thing and whether or not this was an OEM part. Um, because because it, he's only allowed OEM. Because it's only allowed, uh, only allowed as OEM in street class. And it was an original like E36 M3 LTW piece. Like the lightweight one. Yeah. Uh, he was like, yeah, I paid like $2,500 for this splitter because I wanted it to be legit. Oh uh, my gosh. And E36 M3 lightweights, like that car, uh, I think one of those just sold for like 200,000 bucks. I'm bringing trailer. <laughs> um, but I was talking with Andy for just a minute about um, that car, Twitch, and how much it might cost to replicate. And Andy was like, I don't know. I mean, maybe like maybe like 30 or 35, um, which sounds like a lot of money, um, you know, for a track car. But right. I think everything is relative. And I think also it's important to know that like mechanically and reliably, that car is as close to perfect as anything I've ever seen. And it's also like it's a car that's probably worth close to that. Like those things are not dropping in value. And if it's built, if this, it's built this well car, like that, I mean, oh. I've never seen, well, save maybe the Viper being the only other car that I've seen be driven this hard for this long and mechanically it just like it, that. That's just what this car does. Takes it, goes, goes to test days. Right. And, uh, you know, if, if your interest is in driving, um, it, I think it's hard to argue with that particular setup. I mean, maybe it's more complicated than, than just an E46 M3. Um, but like there's on the, the podcast that we recorded with Scott Robertson that we're going to release, I think probably this coming Friday. Um, mm -hmm. we talked a lot about like what barriers exist for people getting out on track. And, um, I'm, I'm interested in your impression, but like, I think there's a temptation to not want to go to the track because you're intimidated or you feel like your car needs an XYZ widget before it's ready to go out on track. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't think necessarily any of those things are, are true, but in, in Brandon's case, this car, like this car is perfect. 
And it's, it's fast, not because it makes a million horsepower. It's fast because he drives it excellently. Yeah. And it's set up the way that he wants to drive it. So. And uh, I, I think yeah, that barrier to entry thing, that's an interesting one. Um, I think one thing that you guys didn't talk about on that show, cause I just listened to the, the track walking version of it, which is the same version I think we'll, we'll put out, but, um, which is, uh, dude, there's one line in there where, uh, where Ed, dude, Renee and Ed are talking and they're arguing some, and Renee's talking about like riding somebody's ass <laughs> and Ed goes, if you're going to ride my ass, pull my hair. And it made me laugh. Uh, and uh, if I had any drink in my in my mouth, I would have spit it out. It was hilarious, <laughs> but, um, dude. It uh, I think the like the one barrier to entry thing that you guys didn't really talk about is like the experience that people want to get out of some of this. Like some of these drivers have this, um, they've got this like sense of uh, of like it's like an unattainable thing that will never actually happen. Like they they have this vision of what they think their first experience is going to be. Um, did I lose you? You're yeah, I'm, no, I'm here. I'm listening. Okay. Uh, they just went really, really quiet on my phone um, because I'm not, uh, I'm not recording myself. I wanted to make sure they've got like so many drivers, like you know, they get in the hobby, they're following the builds online. They're starting their own build and whatever. And like, you know, it's a street car. It's a, and they modify it, they modify it, they modify it. They're aspiring to something that like, They've got this, like, it's built up so much in their head. Like, my first track, I'm building my track car. And they'll, like, they'll have a full-on time attack car or, like, a real wild track rat, and they'll never have taken it to the track. So Moss commented on a Gears and Gasoline. Uh, he was interviewed for a Gears and Gasoline video, like, a couple years ago right. um, while we were at Autobahn. And the premise of the Gears video, if you haven't seen it yet, was... You know, I think I was in that video. What's the best first track car? I think you were in that video. Yeah. Um, and Moss said something that I thought was really intelligent, um, which was that, you know, the best track car is the car that you can afford to go to the track 20 times a year. Right. And when I think about my Evo experience, um, I fell into the situation that you described just a second ago, which was build up this street car up, 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 up. Um, before you take it to the track. Um, but when you go that route, uh, 500 horsepower cars are not good beginner cars on track. Oh, they're uh, atrocious. Well, for, for maybe the reason, for maybe a reason that you're not thinking, and that is, um, yeah, like driving a high power car can be scary and, and there are consequences to screwing up when you're going that fast. Right. But like, you use more fuel and you use more tire and you use more gas or excuse me, and you use more brake pad and like those consumable things, they add up and, uh, yeah, and almost, also, almost yeah. any of our drivers are on some kind of budget and like right. having a 300 horsepower car that you can just go to the track and like not even worry about doing anything to, and just like running it. 
uh, is going to be way more rewarding than having a 600 horsepower car that you can get little to no practice in because you can't afford all the tires and you can't afford the brakes and you can't afford the fuel and you can't afford the mechanical maintenance that you need to do to keep a car like that running. And every time you come in, you got to like plug a computer into it and and check the data and adjust the air fuels and like clear the codes and like, like you want a car, you want a car that you can forget about. Like, well, yeah, and, you and have maybe, to, but like so many people don't build that car because they're in the hobby. They get in the hobby without the, without the ambition of building a track car, right? Like, which is understandable. Like well, they want to build a I fast guess, car. Um, you know, the not everyone has the luxury of having multiple track cars, but like there is something to be said about, you know, Andy while he was driving the big time attack Evo, he would use that to compete. But there were plenty of events uh, throughout the year that he was driving trainer because he wanted the laps. Yeah, seat time. And yeah. Twitch is not different from that. Brandon has an insane build Evo Check 9. It's yeah. beautiful. Um, it almost won Optima, Optima Streetcar one time, too. Yep. I think he I think he finished second or yeah, third. I, I mean, too. it was really, really solid, world-class build. Um right. But it's it's a beast of burden to him. Like it's a car that's built to compete at that level. Uh, probably isn't the mechanically reliable car that you want if you're going to do laps. And I've yeah. I've never seen Brandon in a bad mood getting out of Twitch ever because yeah. he just you know you can go out and you can run twenty minutes if you want and you'll just love it. There was a year or two where I had. Uh, I would have like one of the faster cars at the track, right? I had a, it was, it was my same car. It was turboed, had a, the big Accord motor in it. Um, same motor that's in it right now, actually, but turbocharged. And I didn't know anything about radiator ducting. I didn't know anything about cooling. Um, I didn't know about anything about anything. Like I knew some stuff, but not much. Uh, and then I was also trying to track um, our, 2007, 2008, 2009 Grassroots Motorsports uh, car, Gutty. which was uh, the Challenge car, the Gutty, uh, which was a turbocharged, uh, had an Integra motor, turbocharged CRX. Um, and neither, like the Gutty was semi reliable because it was, you know, it was a pretty basic build, um, super light. Car didn't get that hot, but like both these cars, they had so many problems. I would make two laps, I'd come in. I'd make a lap, I'd come in. I'd make a lap, I'd come in. I'd make two laps, I'd come in. Um, and I was, I, I started like, you know, and I was instructing for a bunch of organizations. I ended up pulling the turbo off my car and just driving it NA. Uh, there was one event where I got so frustrated that I went home from Autobahn and I welded up the center section of a turbo. I just like cut the wheel off of an old turbo, welded up the center section, um, and just plugged it in there and put a, uh, and basically put an air filter on the intake pipe and the exhaust, like went through the turbo manifold, like banged off of the center section, which was welded up and like dropped out the exhaust out the downpipe uh, because I didn't have time to fabricate a header. I got so frustrated with turbo that I just converted my car to NA mid event and, uh, and to get seat time. Uh, but then I started having the most fun of my life. And that was in the most basic lemons CRX and an 88 wheel horsepower. Well, like, I, I, I think fun. that what, what we're talking about describes in detail what makes Sunday Cup a really, really good place to to cut your teeth in competitive driving 
if that's yeah, something that solid you want fun, to do. dude. And it you drive it there and it won't break. Fun. Um, it is really, really difficult to be perfect. And right. um, Matt Williams has been driving that car, his his spec fit for long enough now that like if you're going to beat Matt Williams on a track that he goes to, you have to be perfect. And yeah. that is an incredible challenge and like something that people should aspire to. Um, Dude, Ed, I drove his car at NCM on Friday in the test day um, just for one 20 minute session right at the end of the day, because I thought I got to, and he's always offered it, you know, every event he's like, yeah, if you want to drive it, grab it. Uh, and so I drove it and that car is like, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> It's way better than it should be. Uh, there's a couple times, you know, where like the back end steps out on you. My instinct go is like foot to the floor, and it's it's not even like scary, but it's like the car is. It got better. Like the more laps I did, the better it got too. Yeah. The first couple laps, it got a little pushy, and then I was like, all right, gotta approach these corners a little different, you know. And there's so many freaking corners well, that you and, can't even figure it out. I think I've said this on the show before, but there is something to be said about like a car that's slow enough to allow someone who's mentally slow like you and me to like, okay, okay. I saw what the car did this lap. I'm going to change what I do the next time around and I'm going to enter differently or I'm going to break differently or whatever. Right. It's very yeah, different to have the time the to wheel think later about and... that than if you're comparing that same experience to a car with 600 where it's just like, okay, I need to scrub 80 miles an hour off of this. Otherwise, if I don't, I'm going to die. Right. There was a couple of times where I went in so hot in the fit and I only did like, what, six laps, seven laps. What do you do in the 20-minute session? I went in so hot that I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And like, <laughs> like scared myself and came out like I might have put like half a tire over the line, but like a crazy, a crazy like, wow, really blew that line there. It's only my second lap at NCM. Well, and, uh, and we talked but, with um, with Kevin Burke on the show. He's driving the Torco Viper. Um, but last week was out, I think, with Falcon in a, a kind of a spec fit type car yeah. out on the West yeah. coast. And like he, he talked about it in a way that I have on the show before, which is in that car, you don't think about how much you have to break before you enter a turn. You think about how fast can I possibly go through this turn? Do yeah, I, you think about do how I have little to use you the brakes? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the inverse of, of a car like a Viper or his Corvette or his S2000, you know, and uh, uh, I, I, there is a lot to learn in a car like that where you can focus on your minimum corner speeds and carrying as much momentum as you possibly can. And, and like, to be honest, um, people think GLTC cars are so wild because they, they set really fast lap times, right? Um, they're, not, uh, they're not that much crazier. Like, you're focusing more on min speeds than max speeds. Um, it's not like, it's not like even with your Evo, you know, I drove your Evo a couple of sessions like that thing was freaking rowdy in a straight line, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, and you're trying to get it to not kill you into the braking zones. Um, it, on a good lap at most tracks in a GLTC car, uh, you're trying to break as little as possible. Like you go in deep, 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 uh, or you, or you get it done early and you want to get on the throttle early, depending on your car setup. But, but like, 
that's the fun to me. That's the that's like that's why GLTC is where it is in power in power level, um, because I think that's as fast as you can go, and still have some of that spec fit fun where it's like you're not burning the car down, uh, you're not going so fast that it's like oh my gosh everybody's gonna die if the pedal goes to the floor. You just kind of gather it up. You might put it in the dirt a little bit. You know, uh, they're not that fast. Like, but if you get every single 10th out of those cars like it's rowdy quick uh, yeah but it's it's just a couple clicks above that same feeling where it's like man you just you just want to slow down as little as possible <laughs> so. i mean and i you know the same is true for for any car right but uh in a lightweight car you can you can do an awful lot in a corner that a car that weighs 3,500 pounds has a harder time doing, or at least needs a whole lot more tire to do. Right. It was, uh, it was really fun. Uh, my, my most fun, I think I had on track last year, like in, in like mentally, I was, I went to a track night in America. Uh, we tested, uh, uh, another, another plug for, uh, another data system, the Garmin catalyst, sorry, apex pro. Um, but we tested the, the Garmin Catalyst for for a, a day. Me and Tamo at uh, a track night in America, uh, which is a it's a cool system. Like it's fine, uh, different. It does things differently, which is unique. But um, I was I was in like the advanced group for three sessions on a Thursday night or whatever it was at Gingerman, right? Um, and I, I wasn't like setting the world on fire, but I'm running like 141s, 142s uh, on my AR1s or whatever. Um, and like so many dudes came up to me and they were like, how are you going so fast in that thing? How are you going so fast? What's this thing got in it? Because there's Corvettes and there's Mustangs and there's e- E90 M3s and whatever out there. And it's really fun. Like they pull seven, eight, 10 car lengths on you uh, and then you get them back and they pull seven, eight, 10 car lengths on you and you get them back in those two big straightaways. And then you just get them back well, I remember, get them back and two and three and four and five and six and seven and eight. And all of a sudden, like you're almost ready to pass them. And then they put 10 car lengths. And it's really fun. I remember, um, when I went to Indianapolis, uh, to IMS with, with Andy and Alex, um, and a few other folks for a PCA event. And, right. um, Andy is, uh, an intense driver in an HPE session, uh, just in general, um, but, uh, he's I'm not surprised he, I've raced with him. <laughs> um, <laughs> he is in trainer at the time, which is like basic K swap, not on slicks, street tires, like at an APR off the shelf wing. Like it's a track rat S2000. The, it is a ratty track ratty S2000. It actually looked ratty back then too. Um, and he's out at PCA with all of these, like, you know, high dollar Porsches, folks that think they can drive and like there had to be like five or six guys come up to him afterward be like what is going on with that car like you got some big turbo set up underneath he's says like it's like no man it's it's a 200 horsepower you know k-series in an s2000 <laughs> <It's stock. laughs> it's, it's completely stock yeah stock um you know it's it, i'm sure it's it's humbling for those people or or maybe it isn't but like it should be it's different though it's very different so, anyway, um, well, then, we've been rambling about a lot of things. Yeah, this was supposed to be a show mostly just ranting about setting up uh, a good relationship with a good shop. 
but has turned into a lot of other stuff too. Well, we, we even talked about BMX bikes. That was fun. So uh, if anyone is listening and has an old dyno VFR that they would sell for not a gazillion dollars, I am interested. Um, but mm. you probably like, if you have an old dyno VFR, you might want it. So, um, but like, if you listen to this and you're like, Hey man, I, I got something for you. Dude, um, there's 10,000 dyno VFRs just in garages, like behind cardboard boxes right yeah, now. Man. That, that um, I'm hoping maybe we get some, some kind of situation like you did with the Barbie Jeep. <laughs> the Barbie Jeep is so gross. It's under my race car right now too. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh. But, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we did a this is a, this is a thing we haven't done in like a month because do we in March and April uh, we had three events in five months and I'm tired man it was hard yeah 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 it was hard. Um, I would like to do a show with Patrick Darty uh, who I've gotten to know oh. just a little bit who is very fast in his street class type R I mean like really... I think he's also a slip angle fan and I think that's why Valvoline's sponsoring the grid life. <laughs> Um, so I want to do a show with him because he did a fast lap at AMP where that car is moving. Yeah, he's a really fun dude to talk to too. Um, so I want to do a show with him. Um, and we need to do some more Patreon stuff. So, uh, if you guys have ideas for ramblings you want on Patreon, uh, or just other smut, um, like the sister, sister episode, uh, which, well, Sunday night, stay up late. Uh, I got some ideas. Let's do one Sunday night. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I got an idea. We're going to drunk call our friends on Sunday night. I'm into that. <laughs> Maybe Saturday night. We'll see how, how early our wives go to bed. So. Cool. Uh, I'm going to be working on my uh, my car this weekend. I got I got to put some Fortune Auto 510s on it to get it ready for Taco Track Day on, on Wednesday. Is that Wednesday? Um, it's Wednesday. You coming up? Probably. I mean, I don't have a job, so... Get a few laps in, man. Uh, uh, I mean, I I could, I could just, uh, I could just take the car up and drive it. I think if you go to Fortune Auto's website, uh, there is a Slip Angle podcast uh, discount code. I think it's Slip Angle, all caps. So maybe check them out. They're not actually like a partner of ours or anything, but uh, yeah, if you give them a discount, maybe they'll give us discounts. So yeah, that'd be cool. Um, but uh, Swan's also a really good dude. We uh, he's their social media manager and like a uh, influencer person, uh, and somehow he's friends with us also because he works at Grid Life as well. So yeah, if you um, haven't listened to the episode uh, of Swan while the boys are on the West Coast headed to uh, Willow Springs, it was a pretty good show. It was one that I had to listen to as well because I wasn't on it. Um, yeah, it was. It ended up being like really fun at the end. I loved hearing about now, his, uh, like how he got into cars. So, so uh, the story is: Do you remember him saying, talking about Drift Indy for a minute, and he was yeah. saying that uh, they would do their events in a suburb of Dayton called Xenia, where there was a track called Killcare, and it was like a like a, yeah. a tiny oval. Um, yeah. Killcare is the place that that I went out that night, I went to um, drag race. That was yeah. like the moment that I got into cars and got to know like the people. Um, and regularly autocrossed at Killcare um, those couple of summers that I was in Dayton. Well, that's freaking cool, man. It's I didn't know that. And it was out there, but. Yeah, it was like, yeah. I think it was either Tuesday night or, or Thursday night test and tunes were, uh, 20 bucks, as many runs down the drag strip as you could do. 
Just beat the, what did you have? You had a WRX at the No, time? it was the Evo, yeah. Oh, you had the Evo already, okay. And, like, it wasn't fast. I mean, it was, like, 13s. Man, 13s are actually, man, back when I used to drag race, 13s were pretty respectable. Yeah, but. not anymore, but, like, <laughs> we, we live in a different yet. world, right? <laughs> like, we're um, in, especially in the time attack world, right? Like, the nine-second Teslas. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's stupid. Yeah, um, it's, it's hard. But. We did do a show. Uh, we released it on Tuesday about um, prep for one lap of America. I would like to um, get predictions. Who do you think is going to be who? Who's going to be on the podium this year? Do you think? Um, my my hopefuls. I only have two hopefuls for the podium, and that's Tom and Andy. Uh, I want to see those. I really want to see Andy Hollis win overall because that dude has put in the effort with all kinds of cars and he said nothing but like he's been he's battled a lot of things. And obviously he's had some fancy cars. He's also had CRXs and EF hatchbacks. And I like him a lot. I think he's an excellent driver. I think he's an excellent prep man. And I love that he has actually helped. Like he was one of the instrumental pieces of Tamo winning SRO and or World Challenge championships. Uh, he he flew himself around the country to help Tamo set up his cars. Um, I really like Andy, uh, and I I wish him uh, I wish him a win. Like he's my fingers crossed, and I think he's got he's he's definitely got the capability to do it. So. Um, um, I was talking with Paul Ellertson, who is uh, going to be. Uh, recording the event uh, following Super K, and uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We were we like, were. Where talking do I know that name from? Oh yeah, it's it's uh, what Boosted Films. Boosted Films, yep. Um, and we were talking about like who the top five might be, and right. um, like it's it's just so intense. Like, Dude, and yeah, and you've also got like a kind of a weird dark horse like Andy and Alex. Who yeah. I'm like, Dude, those guys might actually win. <laughs> Um, so here's, here's a bit. I asked, I asked Paul what his, his top five would be predicted. That's not who he wants to win, but like who he thinks has, you know, a legitimate chance of being top five. He said, TTRS, Andy Hollis, Tomo, Robert Thorne, and Super K. Yeah. I was like, that's, yeah, that's the podium. Like that's, that's I mean, that's, that's a pretty good list. But then I was like, well, Chuck Veth now has a T or excuse me, a, a GT two RS and he wasn't a slouch in his GT three. Um, yeah. he was and then there's probably 10 other people we don't know. Um, so like, who do you bump out of that top five? If you put Chuck Veth in, dude, it's all hard. Like there's a lot of heavy hitters coming to this one. I'm really excited to see it. Like, uh, to see it happen. I might go up to Gingerman for the, for the morning as well. So, yeah, it's, it's what just day they, such a crazy event. I'm going to look. Um, if you're listening to this and you're not familiar with One Lap of America, you should you should fix that because... So it starts on Saturday morning. Uh, May 7th, they're at Gingerman's. So that's right, right before they head back to Tire Rack, which okay, should yeah, be so like a low-key, chill day, um, ending pretty early. And then typically people go back to the lodge and get drunk afterwards. Sounds fun. It is fun. Yeah, maybe Friday we should go up there and just uh, stick microphones in everybody's faces and get stories too. Yeah, um, that would be a lot of fun. What is that? Well, uh, is, is regardless, that... we're gonna um, we're gonna we're gonna beat a bunch of phone calls over the heads of our friends. So, 
Oh, and we have a new, we have another friend that I forgot is, uh, like when we were recording on the other day, Tuesday, I was like, I know somebody else running it. Who was that? And I, you know, I didn't want to bother Andy, which we can call Andy too. I got Andy's number. We can call him anytime. Um, but it's Robbie from 10 tenths is doing it too. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. He's in a C8 with his friend, Bill, who has ran track day picnic with us. Sweet. Yeah. So they're doing, uh, Bill has done a couple of them in an STI, I think. Um, I think, yeah, I think he's done two, uh, but yeah, they're running a C8. So, uh, yeah, he might be a fun one to check into and get a, like a first one lap experience, like recap day by day. So, so uh, this is also a plug for one lap of America. I love one lap. Um, it's in terms of like what it costs to put a, like a, a serious effort together. Um, like practically it is a, a year's racing season um, clustered into uh, one week. And so like it's, it's a big commitment financially to do. I mean, the event itself isn't the, I mean, the event is like eight track days worth of expense, which is basically exactly how it works out. Um, But you've got all the extra fuel and you've got the consumables and you've got tires and you've got hotels and you've got, all of that stuff. And it just like, it just adds up. I think, um, you know, if you had a car already that was sorted and dialed, you could do the event probably for like six, um, which is a lot of money. But like, if you are starting from scratch, clean slate, building a car in an attempt to win, you could potentially spend a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, if it, it actually is like a lot less hotel rooms than like, uh, six or seven different track days. Like you'll probably get double the hotel rooms doing that, and you'll spend more on fuel driving your tow rig around. But it's an experience. Like it sounds like you're paying for an experience with this. Yeah, so. and like the, I mean, I, I guess in the same way that National Autocross, you're not paying for seat time as much as you're play, you're paying for the competition. Um, yeah, and the well, fact that you're only doing like six hot laps per day um, right. on tracks really isn't that much. I mean, like. Your your seat time is probably fifteen minutes per day at most, followed yeah. by fourteen hours in the car driving to the next event. That's so grueling, but it's such a it's such a unique competition. I'm excited to talk to people about it, and yeah. we've got a we've got a few newbies. We got Tamo. Uh, uh, we can bug Robbie a little bit, see if he picks up the phone. It should be fun. So. Yeah, um, I think we should. Uh, this board is really paying for itself because we're going to be able to record with a lot of people as long as they have good cell service. It, uh, I think it'll be really exciting to see Scott and Becky hopefully drive the Miata because, man, that's a – dude, when I unloaded that car on Monday morning out of my trailer after NCM, I was like, oh, my gosh, every panel is borked. <laughs> like, that car was hit. Uh, it touched, it touched uh, like, tire wall everywhere. Like, it just – it must have just pirouetted around a tire wall. Um but hopefully uh, the buddies over at Al's Auto Body in St. John, Indiana, have that thing looking uh, straight and driving straight. And hopefully tomorrow it arrives up in Michigan as a usable one-lap car. So Awesome. Yeah. yeah Scott someday, texted me today with some like good to news about my, it. my Civic up to Al's Auto Body and get it, like, cleaned up. Yeah. Um, but I don't have a job. So that, well, that's Scott texted accurate. me good, good news about his car today, though. Oh, yeah? Uh, he said – because uh, – it came in off the, the trailer and there was water like all over the car, right? All over the front of the car. And he was like, radiators 
Great Ear is blown. Like I don't, I can't even find the leak. There's, there's water everywhere. Um, and I was like, oh, that sucks. I don't even see a leak either. Radiator, like the core support wasn't bent up. Like, like you wonder what happened, right? So he's looking for a radiator, looking for a radiator, and then uh, we fired it up uh, to pull it onto the trailer uh, just real quick. Um, and there was no water leaking out of it. I figured I must have lost all the water, right? Uh, and, and Rich over at Al's Auto Body fires it up and is like, no, it's got full colon. Like, everything's fine. And Scott's water like, Water from the what? tires. Water from the tires. <laughs> yeah, because you get the tires stacked up and they get water and mosquitoes living in them all summer, right? Uh, yeah, hit the tires and the water out of the tires all over the car. <laughs> so there was a, there was one bright spot. You didn't have to buy a whole new radiator. So. Yeah, uh, I mean, like talking to him over the last couple of days, it's it's like a big hit in terms of, you know, like confidence and energy and just like, you know, how ready you are for the event. Right. Um, that said, like all, all told, like that's kind of a small incident. Like in wheel to wheel world, it gets a lot worse. Right. Um, but, uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited to hear, um, if they take the car, uh, I'm excited to hear after the event, like not during it, not while they're going through it. Um, maybe two weeks removed from one lap. Um, Scott is so like introspective and uh, like he, he thinks about thinking and feelings. And uh, I think he's a super interesting dude in that respect. Uh, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited to hear uh, his, uh, I want to be regaled with his story, with the stories of his mental uh, struggles about the event. I think it'll be very, um, I think it'll be a thing that uh, like people can learn from. Uh, if he gets that Miata to one lap. so Well, and I, I think there's something to be said about, um, I, we've talked about it on the show before, but, uh, you know, when you are a newbie at a track, whether you have experience or not, um, right. you know, there there is, I think, a little bit of intimidation. And so, like, one lap is an interesting case in that, uh, depending on the layout of the track, it is very possible that you enter turn one at speed having never driven that corner before. That's so wild. Too. It, because let's say if you exit pit out past turn one um, on your warm up lap, you don't see turn one at speed. And then you stop at the start finish. And when the green flag goes, you go. And then on your next lap around, which is the start of lap two, you come into one and you, you're going fast. And yeah, like, you've never done it before. It's, um, that's, that's pretty wild. And I think it's pretty intimidating. And so like, you know, in this event, um, you get like the, the newbie butterflies, I think, um, mm-hmm. just because there are tracks that you're going to be trying to attack in some respect, at least, uh, in order to finish well, and you just don't have any practice. That is some big, big craziness. That's just big craziness. I got to do it someday. I've wanted to do it for 15 years. Maybe, just maybe. I was actually thinking about it this morning. Maybe there's a circumstance where Slip Angle could uh, put forth an entry. That would be an interesting one. That would be, man, that, that's not a, that's actually not a terrible idea. Yeah, I, I, quite literally, I was thinking about it this morning because I've got one lap on the brain. And it was like, well, I mean, we don't have to go to necessarily try and win. But no, if we I, I want to go for the experience. If like, we I wanna... went with the intent to like 
do shows and be there with people, that would be a lot of fun. I would love to, I would love to drive it. Obviously I don't want to just follow the circus, but I, I would love to drive it in a car like, like your car on coilovers and tires. Yeah. Like basic (laughs) setup, you know, something like that or like a type R that would be fun. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, one of these days I'll get to do one lap. Maybe. Hopefully. Hopefully maybe maybe you and I will just end up with jobs where we don't have to consider vacation time. Um, I don't think I've said this on the show before, but um, I mean, it's what is it? It's late April and uh, I've got a little bit of severance money left. That'll take me about another five weeks or so in terms of like regular pay. And that's outstanding. I'm very lucky for that. But I'm I'm six interviews in for this job in Louisville. Uh, and Six. I haven't, I haven't been like actively applying everywhere because I think there is some, uh, resistance, both me and Ashley to like, uh, just being willing to pick up and move just some other random place. Right. Know, like, um, and, and so like, I, I kind of told myself that if this doesn't work out, um, in terms of, uh, a job offer, um, my dad's been trying to convince me to sell real estate professionally for like 15 years. And, uh, <laughs> like a long time. it's, it's a really like, if you're listening to the show and you know that I have a, you know, a degree in chemistry and I've been working in the chemical industry, that's like, that's a big change. Um, but like at the same time, it's really just, uh, you know, this is the thing that I do to provide for my family. And like, it's, it's kind of a family business and it's not, you know, it's not completely foreign, right? Like I, I know some oh, of you're the pretty good at houses. Of, like you've, you've fixed up a lot of aspects of your previous four houses. Yeah. And like, we've moved around a little bit and like, um, right. I guess being choosy, I might say, well, if I don't get this job offer, I don't want to like, I'm not going to just go move to Texas. I have no interest in doing that. And there's a lot of chemical industry jobs there. So like, I'm just not doing it. Um, right. If I'm, um, if I'm not moving to Louisville, then I'm just staying flexibility here. Life. You know? Yeah. yeah, build a life with flexibility in it. You never know what will happen. Yeah, and so, like, you know, if I if I did end up going down the real estate path, there are a few things that would be attractive about it. One is, um, well, like, my, my vacation days really just belong to me. And uh, I get to decide how many or how few I want to take. And mm-hmm. uh, if I decide to be away, I can still, in some respects, be working even when I'm not in the location. Yeah. Um, and so like that might be good if I want to continue my grid life. Might not be the worst idea. So. I got I, 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 for, for the entire span of this podcast, I've been under the burden of uh, a large debt with a building that um, the government then decided to make the property taxes super high. So the building lost like all value. And that's what we ran a construction business out of. Um, and for the past three months, we've been double or triple paying on it. Uh, and right now, if I didn't double or triple pay, I only got four months left. Um, Dude. And it's like, I mean, like 12 years ago, we had like 700 grand in debt after the economy crash. And like, we just bought this stupid building. And, um, and it was like, I was making no money at all, like scraping by 15, 18, 19,000 bucks. Um, and we're almost there. And like, I, I, it feels like, it feels like there's almost a weight off my shoulders and like freedom is almost here. Um, 
and we're almost there. So like, maybe it's time to rethink how I do my life yeah. <laughs> because I'm sick of being so busy all the time. So. Yeah. But I, I also think that you're a bit like a shark in that if you stop swimming, you'll probably die. I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be opposed to that either personally. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a lot to consider. And like, I guess the, the upside for me is if I went down this path, um, you know, I might not be making money by the next month, but right. within the next month, by the beginning of June, uh, in principle, I could be licensed and be working toward a paycheck. Yeah, Whereas maybe. if I tried to stay searching for jobs in science, um, with as long as this has been stretched out, uh, this interview cycle, if I tried to go through that again, I mean, I might not be working until August. Right. And right. that seems less interesting to me. Well, it also could be even if you go down that path and then you get a, your dream job in, in science, uh, maybe you're also a realtor. Yeah, my dad said that too. Um, but it, it's up. funny because it's, I don't want to say taboo, but it's like a, it's a thing that people are told to be afraid of is, you know, a gap in your professional resume. Right. And uh, like, I kind of have a thought for how I would answer that question if someone asked why I was out of science for two years. Right. Um, and it was just like, well, you know, uh, it was the middle of the pandemic. Uh, my job got eliminated. I stepped into real estate because I wasn't ready to leave the city I was living in, and I was looking for the right opportunity. Now I'm back. Right. And yeah, like yeah, any you'd, person, you'd be, you'd be any person that would like turn their nose at like, yeah, you know, I hustled and I made it work. And any person who would like look down on that would be like, eh, kick rocks, man. Yeah, you might not want to work for that person anyway. So, um, well, it's been a long show. You should, we probably should do a quick. Um, it's been long enough. Part. I hope that Chris Sullivan is happy. Yeah, he always wants long shows now because he's a long drive, right? So um, we do this but, for you, Chris, and then we do short but, ones for other people. Yeah, Chris, the uh, one of the grid life photographers, now has a long drive up to K Power Industries every day. <laughs> so, uh, before you release this, we should probably at the beginning of the show uh, do a quick read for our buddies and partners uh, because it's so long that people might not make it to the end. <laughs> so, yeah, um, uh, but uh, we, we yeah, will uh, we will plug them here at the end though. Um, yeah, I, I really, I, I, really wanted to thank uh, all of the Patreon supporters. Um, you guys have been incredible. Uh, and helping stupid. Us, Why are you doing this? Helping us keep the website alive. I mean, I know that Tracktune doesn't have millions of viewers every month, but there is some really useful information on there. And it's uh, like, I think it's our intent, or at least especially my intent, to be kind of encyclopedic in that... Um, you know, things that go up there should w remain relevant for right. an indefinite period of time. Um, right. So, you know, your support helps us keep the website running. It helps us print T-shirts. It helps us do all kinds of things. And so we are incredibly grateful. Um, and we are also grateful to FCP Euro, uh, where every part you buy is guaranteed for life, uh, for their listenership and support. Um, and then finally... Uh, our continued relationship with Apex Pro. They're doing some really, really cool stuff. Uh, be on the lookout soon for some for some things. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, if you're interested in 
using data to go faster, it would be hard to recommend anything else because it is just so easy to get the data you need. I, I got to qualify one thing earlier in the show. I talked about uh, how we use uh, AIM solos in GLTC scrutineering. And that's because I don't have to pair it with a cell phone. <laughs> that, that is uh, in, in personal Apex Pro usership. Like that's not a big deal. A cell phone or iPad or whatever. But I don't have that many iPads for uh, for putting putting in all kinds of cars. So yeah. that's that's really the only the only real reason. Um, and uh, and it's really easy to just grab some of these AIM data because that over the past twelve years that's become like the standard. But man, I love the light display on the Apex Pro. It works like for me, it just works really really well. So so um, to plug Apex here, Pro here for a second, my favorite part about it is actually the data analysis software, which is you know, you, you download it for free on, you know, the iTunes store. It's, it's like a thing that's included with your Apex Pro, but you don't really think about how valuable it is. Um, when I come off the track, um, it, it quite literally takes me five seconds to send the data to my iPad or even look at it from my phone and look at my speed versus distance trace and look at my playback and look at my breakpoints and all of those things. And um, if you're not a tech wizard. Um, other uh, systems, they, they take, they are more involved, right? Like they yeah, may, it, they may have is, some other it's features, more involved, but like, like having a laptop and like a mouse and doing all the clicky things is not something that is for everybody. Um, it, it uh, just in organizing GLTC stuff, uh, I think we, I think Scott had like half an hour in like updates he had to do on his laptop uh, just to get them off of everything else. <laughs> it was uh, it was it was interesting and difficult just dealing with a PC. Uh, whereas if you got your phone, you literally like push a button and there it is, it's right there, yep. uh, which is very cool. It's a it's a cool system. I'm curious to see what they come out with next. Um, and the usership is growing quite a bit. So, like, you've got a lot more comparables. Uh, it's becoming, like, a, a very well-adopted. I mean, there was a ton of Apex Pros in Windows and on dashboards. At so I had an idea today. Um, while I was thinking about one lap, I was also thinking about Apex Pro. Um, we, I, I talked for a second about how I wanted stuff on TrackTuned to be encyclopedic. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there is a place... Um, where we can uh, provide or like make available uh, like high quality laps from the tracks that GridLife goes to for Apex Pro users, um, where they can pull down that data as a point of reference, either before an event or or compare to after. I know there's some private Facebook groups with uh, like AIM data shares and things, but yeah. um, I I think it would be neat if if maybe I I talked to Patrick who has a, an Apex Pro. Um, I, I talked to him like this week and I was like, hey man, can I see your Apex Pro data? I'm like really interested in how your car made pace. And he emailed it to me and I was like, well, well, if he was okay with just putting that up on the website, that would be available for anyone who wanted to use it as a resource. Right. It, uh, and it's also, I mean, it is comparable to other data. So you just look at mile an hour, you look at, you know, there's a lot of things in there that are comparable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, I think you and uh, uh, our friends over there, you guys get to figure it out. Have fun. Yeah, I, I don't even think it would be that hard. It would just be like a, solid idea. a, a totally. data warehouse where like you go to TrackTune and you can just pull 
the data from NCM if you want to. And if somebody's got stuff that they want to submit, like once it's built, they just shoot it over to you and you plop it up there. Take you like no time at all. It so. would not take much time. You're right. Um, if you're listening to the show and you think that's a pretty cool idea, uh, text me or email me. Or if you think it's a bad idea, let me know that too. I know that some people treat their data as private, but like in general, I think people like the idea of, of being open and um, like sharing and, and collectively making everyone faster. I think there's more people that don't treat their data as private. And even the people that treat their data as private want to see the data of the people that don't. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah. I think we're fine. But yeah, appreciate uh, the Patreons, uh, SP Euro, uh, and, uh, Apex Pro, uh, apextrackers.com. And Abe, I appreciate you too, man. You, you, you put a lot of work into this and this podcast would be dead without you. I'm glad you're here. Well, I'm glad that you can be a guest on our show. Also, I need to thank Matt Williams uh, and his brother for making me a can, uh, a, a a you've seen Matt Williams gas can bar. Uh, it's a an old jerry can, basically cut open, and you swing the door open on it, and there's a, a full stock bar inside. They made me one and presented it to me at NCM because I think I've talked about it on the podcast a bunch. Um, and it was probably the closest I've been to tears in about five years. <laughs> so that was pretty rad. Uh, so I, I just saw it in the rearview mirror of the uh, of the studio. Here let's the uh, let let let's plug Matt Williams here for a second. Matt, if you're not selling those yet, you should. Uh, I think I, somebody does. I would like but... one, and I would like to be able to buy one. Abe, uh, Abe wants one. A lot of people want one. Uh, Matt told me, I think that it's impossible to make any money because they take so much time to make. <laughs> so, but yeah, really cool, really cool thing. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to walk the paddock at the next event with it. Uh, at <laughs> night. So. That's going to be a great visual. Yeah, got to walk the paddock swinging my gas can. Well, but only please walk around the paddock. Everyone else, like if you really want to flex, you'll have your jerry can with you on the Skyjacker lift. That's not a bad idea, man. Just cruise that Skyjacker, man. Beep, beep, beep. (laughs) At at two miles an hour. That's right. Yeah, 1.3 miles an hour. All right, buddy. I think it's time to go to sleep. It's late here. Yeah, been a long show. It's uh, midnight 15, your time. Late. All right. Well, sorry I didn't record it. Uh, I think I did, and then I don't know why I stopped. So, oh well. We appreciate all you listeners. Um, if you have show ideas or, or something burning uh, that you want us to talk about, just let us know, and we'll probably talk about it because we're always looking for things. And that put are, that thing uh, out because fire is hot. Don't let it burn. So. All right, guys. Take care. See ya. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pit City Grid Live to say hello. Hello.